Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I am your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I'm here today with an incredible woman. Her name is Christina Wallen. Now, Christina has spent 30 plus years in executive search and recruitment. She is the Group Managing Director of Harp Wallen, Global Exec Recruitment and Search, She was voted actually one of the top 60 most influential women in travel by the Association of Women Travel Execs. She's been a trustee on the Family Holiday Association and she's an ambassador for every woman. So an incredible lady. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. Thank you, Jeanette. And as I said, thank you for giving me the opportunity to spend an hour or so talking about myself. (laughs) Excellent. Well, for everyone that's listening, I'm sure they're going to be really keen to hear about your journey, your story, Christina. So why don't you kick off there? Okay. Uh, well, it's probably um, probably best to kind of contextualise it with um, the fact that I was um, born and brought up in, in Malaysia um, to parents who had met and married in Malaysia. Um, uh, my mother had been out there. She was born in Singapore. Um, my aunt was born in Malacca, and my grandparents got married in Malacca. So there's quite a long history um, there. And I, I context context that because um, it was obviously a very early introduction to travel, and being you know brought up in places with um, you know with uh, fabulous people, surrounded by fabulous people, fabulous food. Um, I still have a real affinity to to the Far East. Um, I feel very comfortable there. Um, I would like to spend more time there, given the chance. Um, My father was um, a businessman. He worked for an importing and exporting company, and my mother was um, an English and physical education teacher. So both... Both of those have sort of impacted on me on one way or another. Um, my, my grandmother was fearless and independent, and that spread through her, both her daughters. Um, so I feel as though I've come from good, good stock in terms of um, uh, having a level of independence and, and feeling quite brave. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my mother was actually lady captain of the Malayan hockey side in the early 60s wow. after she'd given birth to my brother and I. Um, and my grandfather escaped Singapore um, on the last boat that was bombed when um, following the Japanese invasion. Wow. Um, he survived. Um, but um, so, it, you know, there were lots of stories of adventure and um, uh, a lot of brave attitudes, I must say. So... Um, so that, that was my first introduction to travel, obviously. I uh, had the privilege of being, you know, um, educated in Malaysia up until a certain age and um, went to school out there. But my parents ha- had to take the decision that um, we 
that the education system was only good enough up to a certain level at that point. Um, and reluctantly um, sent both my brother and I back to boarding school. Um, so I went to boarding school in, in Birmingham and then secondary school up in Yorkshire in Harrogate. So, um, and during that time, my father always said to me, if anybody that you meet at school invites you to go on holiday or come to their, um, to their homes in different parts of the world, say, say yes first and ask us afterwards. Um, Great uh, advice. Well, he really believed that, that travel broadens the mind and it opens your mind to different cultures and, um, and you know, different businesses and a different way of looking at things. So, uh, you know, I thank him and my mother very much for, for affording us that privilege. And there were privileges with the expat life they, they had, but it was, it was also, there were a lot of hardships. And one of them, I know, they both struggled with sending us back to boarding school. Um, but from our perspective, we have great, we visited some great places. They lived in Jakarta um, during riot times. They lived in South Korea. My mother um, taught English conversation to the South Korean CIA. Um, so, you know, you can see there's a sort of interesting pattern. So when I left school, um, the irony was my father said to me, you're not having a year out to do traveling. You've done that. Don't try and kid me. <laughs> so you have to go to secretarial college um, or um, university. So I secured a uni university place at Goldsmiths to do English and drama, um, which I didn't take up actually in the end because, um, and I it was a sliding doors moment, like a lot of uh, those career moments. And my, uncle um who along with my aunt um i spent a lot of time with in school holidays when i wasn't able to get back to malaysia um introduced me to a, a business called charles barker watney and powell charles barker watney and powell were part of the famous charles barker pr corporate um comms business at the time and i joined um them because i was dying to get working and i was london loving london life and didn't want to go didn't want to become a student. I met then my um, the gentleman that was to, well, I use the term gentleman lightly, um, who was to become my first husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, uh, a, a bit later, and uh, I just was enjoying life in London. So I wanted to get into work. And I had a fascinating few years as um, working in parliamentary PR, which, um, you know, it, in its time was um, uh, regarded as lobbying. I had a fantastic boss there who uh, uh, was uh, previously had been a, a lobby correspondent, um, was uh, very left wing. And we had some great clients that we worked on. Um, and uh, yeah, I had some, it was a fascinating few years, but I got to a point where I was a, uh, a senior account director and the next move was associate director, which would, would have been unheard of for um, a girl of 23. So by that time, so I decided I was going to go and join my parents in Australia um, for a while. Um, they were all living and working out there. While I was applying for that, um, I did some part-time work with 
the um, PR company and some part-time work with an interior design business um, because I, I love interior design and I've always been passionate about it, but I just really wanted to have a go at seeing, you know, how that would work and evolve. So galloping through that, it was while I was at that um, interior design business that um, I met Michael East, who was, whose offices were in front of our offices. Um, and he persuaded me to come and join him to help him set up an executive recruitment company, called, which was later named Argyle. Um, and I said, well, I don't know anything about recruitment and I don't know anything about travel. Um, the travel industry, perhaps, rather yeah. than travel. <laughs> and um, so he said, that's fine, I'll teach you. And he did. So um, we set up Argyle Executive Recruitment um, in the late 80s um, and transitioned that to a really successful and very, very much the leader in its field. There were not many executive recruitment um, companies in the travel industry. There were lots at, at counter-clerk level, but very few at executive recruitment level. Um, Michael pushed me out of my comfort zone. Um, he was very supportive. Um, he gave me an awful lot of confidence in my in my business ability. And beyond anything, he, he was, as you will remember, um, Jeanette, uh, the supreme networker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, I mean, the number of times that I was, um, I'd be at an event and people would say, I must say goodbye to my Michael. And I think, well, he left out an hour and a half ago, but he, <laughs> he made, he left his presence felt in a room. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so that was, a, you know, that was wonderful. And, a, you know, a, a couple of examples of, of times that he pushed me out of my comfort zone, which we'll probably come on to and, and some examples of of uh, tough negotiations with various personalities in the in the in the industry. So I learned an awful lot. Um, but the one thing, and Michael made me a director of East Castle, the holding business, in um, when I was just twenty six. Um, and you know, I remember thinking, you know, and and I, and I do know my parents in particular were immensely proud. But I met some fantastic people along that way, along that journey. But I remember thinking, actually, you know what? I'm proud of that achievement. That's uh, you know a director of a, a SME that had events and recruitment and everything else was was uh, and at a publishing business at that point. So um, that was um, then. But the one thing Michael wouldn't do was part with any equity in the business. And um, uh, and I had got to the point where I thought, we've got some great clients, we've got some great turnover. And it coincided with a ski trip, with, um, which was run by Peter Long, Manny, Len Mooney, um, to thank um, those suppliers uh, who had stuck with them through the demise of ILG. Um, and um, and help them with the relaunch of Sunworld. So um, it was a thank you ski trip. Um, God, those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so uh, you know they, the PR, you know Pippa Isbell PR company were there. Chris Brown was there. Um, 
you know, their, uh, and their design and advertising company called Hot Design and Advertising, which was run by a guy called Keith Irving Andrews, um, who sadly passed away this time last year. Um, but Keith um, and I were both rubbish skiers. Um, uh, I particularly was a rubbish skier, but we were very good at the apre and we, <laughs> we spent a lot of time shooting the breeze about how we could work together. Um, Keith was a visionary. Uh, he, he had a vision back then with some very good travel clients um, to create a one-stop shop. And that would be that you could come in and recruit your marketing director. You could, we had a he acquired a database marketing business. We acquired a, a representation um, business. And the whole um, premise was that it would be not just a, a design and advertising business. We had some great clients. We had Holiday Autos with um, Clive Jacobs. We had Forte Hotels with Jackie Kernahan. We, you know, we had Sun World. We had um, a great range of clients, and um, and I joined the board there, and and that was a really. I, if I learned everything about networking from Michael, I learned everything commercially and about running a business mm. from Keith. Um, he was a sharp character. Um, he sadly decided that that he wanted out of the business, which meant that after six years we disbanded that. And I guess that was probably one of my you know major watersheds was deciding whether to MBO Hart Wallen from the Hart business, which we did in uh, 2001, just in time for 9-11. <laughs> time. Uh, so yeah, some, some some steep learning curves through that time. Um, but all rewarding, delighted that I did did it. But that again was a, a moment where I thought to myself, own the business. I mean, like own all of it. Uh so um and I had a great business partner at the time, Carol. Um, but she decided after a couple of years that she had um, two young children that she was felt she couldn't juggle the good business partner with good um, uh, with good parenting with being a good wife. So she decided to opt out, um, and so I took on the shareholding, and we went from strength to strength until I guess two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, when the when. Like the rest of the world, we were affected by um, the you know deep deep long recession, which was a very testing time for for my business alongside a lot of other people. Mm, yeah, gosh, I mean, Christina, there's so much in here, you know, and I think it's brilliant that you've shared, you know, and I, I know there's a lot more detail, and we'll, we'll pick up on certain things, but you know, from your early early childhood in Malaysia and sounds like your parents gave you a really good start to life um, in terms of, you know, an open mindedness and, and just reflecting on, you know, that piece of advice your dad gave you around, you know, almost never turn an invitation down. Um, you know, how, how, how important has that been um, through your life in terms of grabbing opportunities or creating opportunities and just giving things a go? Uh, do you, how, you know, was that a, a real sort of influential um, aspect that stayed with you, do you think, Christina? Yes, um, you know, I think, um, you know, I think 
one of my you know pieces of advice to people would always put be put yourself in the way of opportunity and um and make of it even if you don't if if, if you're surrounded by people that believe in you as well give you the confidence and my you know my my parents were not hard taskmasters but they um they were always of the belief um that if if they knew that i tried my best then then that was absolutely good enough um and yeah so my father huge support as i say my grandmother because i spent time with her when i was at boarding school as well mm. um, and she was fearless and independent and my aunt um still now you know she's she's 91 and and i spent a lot of time with her and, and my uncle during school holidays as well and um you know both my mother and my aunt are ipad savvy um i mean steve recounts the story of, of going to the apple shop in australia with my mother because he thought she wanted advice um on her imac um and you know gigabytes and everything else it transpired when they got to the shop that he she just wanted him to carry it to the car she'd already <laughs> on all of that <laughs> brilliant well that put him in his place <laughs> yeah. so uh, yeah exactly completely so keeping so, so current keeping current has been was very important to them uh but my yeah my father's and uh, my father was also a very good networker you know they were very social my parents and they um you know they they loved affecting introduction and i think that that's something that i very much learned from them too yeah, yeah. I mean, and and there's so much in here because you know one of the th one of the things that is around having strong female role models. Um, and I know you know you and I have have a fair bit in common in terms of being really big advocates for you know all diversity and inclusion. You know, yeah. gender diversity because you know we're women. We're sort of this <laughs> is close to our hearts. But yeah. I think having role models um, is so important, isn't it, for people? You know, so for people listening. You know, if they're thinking, you know, if they're a woman in business and they really want to kind of progress their career or start a business, you know, like you you did with, you know, become an entrepreneur, you know, what what would what advice would you give to them um, in terms of sort of role models and mindset, Christina? Yeah, I think um, I think, uh, you know, mindset's an interesting thing. I think I think, first of all, if, if you if you have a business idea, um, and you believe in it, then I think, you know, going through all of the, um, you know, the due diligence to make sure it stands up to, you know, good business practice. And, and, um, and I, and I, I tend to advise people not, not to set up a business in something that they're passionate about, um, because I do think it can, um, you know, become blurred lines um, in some way. Um, I think you have to love it. You have to love what you do, um, but that that can be about the business, not the you know not the product necessarily. Um, and um, I think the one thing that has stood me in absolutely good stead throughout you know good times and bad is definitely surrounding myself with capable, um, supportive uh, colleagues, um, uh, but friends too. I mean, I think one of the the big lonelinesses of uh, of being a an entrepreneur um, or being a hundred percent director of a and shareholder of a business is 
um, the isolation that you can feel. Um, I've never felt that with my colleagues. I've, I've got the most amazing team and have had the most amazing team. And, and I think probably one of my proudest achievements is how well they have all gone on to do. Um, uh, and interestingly, none of them have set up in competition to me. And I, I kind of take some pride from that mm. because they've said that, you know, they that they either were so put off by recruitment, which is entirely possible, um, <laughs> or, um, you know, they just felt that in the business they'd work for the best of the business and um, that they, they, they just, you know, wanted to move on to other things. But a, a number of them have gone on to be um, really good entrepreneurs um, running their own businesses, either in property or um, Carol in, in um, uh, you know, her travel accessories business, which is fantastic. Um, uh, you know, not that I had any influence over that, but she has on occasion said to me, um, I do think, what would, what would Wally have thought about this? You know, how would Wally have handled that? That's great. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, your journey is quite interesting, Christina, because, you know, you name some very, very big personalities in the travel industry that have been influential to you, you know, uh, and we'll, we'll come back to, I mean, clearly Michael is an absolute star, he's someone that, you know, we've both got a huge amount of respect for, and he he clearly spotted something in you that maybe you didn't even spot in yourself at the time when he, he yeah. pushed you to come across the business. And I think, you know, there are there are times in my career where that's happened to me as well, in particular. I think when Richard Prosser said to me, oh, how do you fancy going to Russia? And I was like, what? You know, and um, there are pivotal moments, aren't they? But if you just throw yourself in and think, well, I'll give it a go, like you did with Michael, joining Michael, and, and like I did when I went to Russia, it can really set you on a different trajectory that maybe you would never have considered in the first place. And so I think that's that's very interesting. But but when uh, you think about a lot of your clients over the years, so you mentioned Peter Long, who was my boss at, at TUI, you know, mm-hmm. you had some very big corporate clients. And yet you as a business was very much an entrepreneurial SME, as you described yourself. So how did that marry together, sort of being in that big corporate world, operating at board level um, as a as an exec search, but being a small entrepreneur, relatively small entrepreneurial business in, in you know, by comparison? How did that yeah. play out? That's an interesting one for me, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a very interesting question. And, and, I, and, and maybe I kind of contextualise that referring back to one of um, the first negotiations I had um and um that was when I was working with Michael and you know and whilst I said you know he was very supportive he also would you know throw me to the lions as well um and uh I was um I'd done a piece of recruitment and I mean I'll I'll name the client and that was uh, that was John Donaldson when he was at Thomas Cook and um uh, but I won't name the candidate. Um, and <laughs> we, we had referred, we'd referred the uh, said candidate to them for one particular role, but but he ended up being appointed for another role in in within Thomas Cook Travel Management. Um, and John Donaldson's view was, and, and and I know he wouldn't mind me telling this story because we've laughed about it since, was um, because he hadn't gone into that role 
at the role that we, uh, we were working on, we weren't eligible for a fee, which of course was completely outside our terms and conditions um, yeah. uh, and one thing and another. And so he, he asked to see me. Um, and so Michael said, off you go. And I said, are you coming with me? No. Um, well, I mean, apart from John Donson's physical presence, as you know, I mean, you know, he must be six foot four. He certainly, he felt about seven foot four at that time. I'm five <laughs> foot four. Um, I turned up at Peterborough. He was leaning back in his chair um, like this. I sat there for about 15 minutes explaining how our terms and conditions worked and you know he wanted to understand better why we were eligible for a fee when it we hadn't been appointed to handle that role and anyway there it was and then he just leant back to his desk and handed me the check <laughs> which was his check but it was it was a great learning curve um and in fact a few years later he was speaking as president of ITT and he said um, when he was asked about which businesses he would invest in, it was like Eurotunnel was several years ago. Um, and he said he'd invest in Argyle and um, because he thought there'd be a recruitment boom and that they were doing a great job in travel. So that was that was great payoff. I think working with large corporates, um, I, we take um, ILG, for instance. I was lucky that I had a great um, support in ILG through Jackie Kernahan. Um, she, she had good, you know, she had good respect for me and I think she cast me in a good light with Peter, um, and the team there. Um, but I think over and above, I think you do it yourself. You, you just have to remain authentic and, and straightforward. And I've got, you know, I've got more honest, you know, in those days I used to show up in my shoulder pads I mean I was known at Argyle for going out to buy a sandwich and coming back with a power jacket <laughs> and um you know gosh how are those things have changed so yeah. I, I think you know I think most people would say that I am completely and utterly trustworthy I mean I keep confidences the whole time and uh and I think uh when you're talking to people if they know that they can trust you and that you will push back um, if you disagree with them. Um, I think it was, you know, um, Jackie Simmons on her podcast when she referenced the fact that she was interviewing an awful lot of people and talking to an awful lot of people and thinking, actually, I know I'm as good as them. And I think believing in yourself helps a lot with that. Yeah, there's, there's a huge amount in here because, you know, you're talking about, I suppose, not being intimidated by the client and the environment that the client's in and, and being true to yourself and confident in your ability and that self-belief and mindset piece absolutely shining through, Christina. But you, I think you also made an interesting point around as a woman in business, you know, sort of years ago, sometimes I think, you know, 
us women felt like to get on, we had to act more like a man, you know, some more alpha male behavior, you know, the, the sharp power suits, the big shoulder pads and, and, and kind of creating that sort of image almost. Um, and, and I think, you know, thankfully, I think the world has moved on significantly and actually it is about being your true authentic self, isn't it? So I guess as a woman in business now, I don't know if you see a difference in not only the clients that you recruit for and their attitude, but also, you know, the, the candidates themselves um, and how they carry themselves in today's yes. world. Yes, I mean, it definitely uh, it, it definitely has evolved enormously. And I think, um, you, know, the, it, you know, it's interesting that so far I've referenced, you know, predominantly um, uh, male um, uh, males who have influenced my career and, and my life. And I, I think that continues to be true too. But, but actually, when I was thinking this through this podcast, um, the, the people who have most influenced me um, have have been both um, clients and candidates and friends, and they have predominantly been female, mm. um, uh, I, I, I would say. And I, I, and I say with, you know, with great pride that in, you know, 25 years of running Heart Wallen and before, being able to see how, how many people we have as a business, and I absolutely include my team in this, um, how many people we have we have placed in businesses that have gone on to, you know, enormous, um, you know, successes um, as well. So, yeah, people have changed. I mean, yeah, the armor, the way I dress, the um, in a way, my my uh, business and personal persona has now become pretty inextricably linked, mm. and I think that that's. A combination of reasons, not least, I don't feel as though I have to keep proving myself. Um, so I don't need to power dress, um, and I'm not surrounded by people that power dress in the way that they that we all used to. But I think also because so many, I've made so many friends in this industry mm. um, who have become either clients or candidates or both. Um, that if I was to show up. Um, as something other than the person they see around their supper table or, you know, playing tennis with, that it would beg the question of where, where do I make the shift change? And m most of my profiles are increasingly that my mask for work is, is not significantly different from my, my, my personal mask. Yeah, I mean, it's great for anyone listening. There's some great advice in here about, you know, having the confidence to be able to be yourself and bring your full self to, to the table, you know, whether whether it's in a, you know, you're actually in a in a job, um, you know, as, you know, progressing your career or if you're, you know, starting or running your own business. Um, and I think that's really good advice. And, and it comes a little bit with um maturity and experience I, I can see that myself you know and uh sort of my younger self I probably would have given the advice of just believe in yourself more because actually you are good at what you do and you don't need all that other stuff around you you know if you stick to what you're good at and be authentic and be straight and honest and have high integrity actually people you know recognize that a lot more than 
a brand image necessarily as as, as it can be seen. So I think there's there's so much in here. And and can we come back to networking? Um mm. because that's that's obviously you've mentioned it quite a lot. Um and you know that Michael East was the you know is still the you know the supreme networker as we all know and, and very skilled but also incredibly talented at making people feel like they're the only person in the room at the point that he's talking to them. Now, that might be a fleeting moment, but at that yeah. point, quite a skill. You know, that person doesn't feel like he's ready to look over his shoulder to move on to the next person. So that in itself is, is as you say, a learned skill. But how important has networking been for you, one, in sort of building the business yourself, um, but also in the way that you advise your, um, your, your candidates when they are, you know, wanting to progress their careers? Because there's two sides to this, I think. Yes, there are two sides to it. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, um, I think networking has changed so exponentially and it did used to be how you worked a room. Um, and um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was very important. And um, uh, in my early days at um, Argyle, uh, knowing that there was always somebody in an organisation that you could pick, pick the phone up to. Um, so... Uh, but equally straddling the balance between the superficiality of walking into a room, saying hello and looking over the shoulder to the next person. Mm. So I think absolutely making sure that that person, um, you know, when you are talking to them, and sometimes that means not working the room, but actually having two um, sincere conversations or, you know, meaningful conversations really yeah. rather than sincere with um, one or two people than glancing glancing um air kisses with uh, 55 so um you know and i think i, I think you know a lot of this is amplified um with the times that we're at but i think social media has allowed us used in the right way has um allowed people to um network very effectively um so, you know, gone are the days now that I hand out a business card. I just make sure I remember their name and I get straight onto LinkedIn and I, mm. you know, um, or if there's people that interest me through mentions on, on things or who I wasn't aware of, then I'll find a connection. Um, the, you know, the network within the travel and leisure sector is significant. But um, we do also, we um, particularly during the time of the pandemic, we've been running these one-to-one -one workshops where um, we, we talk to people about the best way to um, network when when the w there are no events. There are, yeah. but you know, networking effectively has has gone from preparing for an event. Um, you know, when I went to a conference, I used to screen all of the list of delegates find out who I wanted to get to, who I wanted to meet. Um, and But you can still apply those same disciplines, um, you know, whether you're on a Zoom conference or not. Um, and growing your network when you're looking for a job um, is the biggest single um, thing that you can do effectively. Um, because for a lot of people, uh, they, they haven't focused on how they're perceived in the industry. They've cracked on with doing a bloody good job yeah. and um, um, and then suddenly find themselves out of a job and realise that, that they're quite vulnerable because they have no external exposure at all. 
Mm. So, um, you know, working on your external exposure when you're in a career is is important for lots of reasons. Um, I'm not just talking about the negative of when you're looking for a job, but, you know, the the perception of of not just being wrapped up in internal meetings, but there are lots of roles in travel that don't afford you um, the uh, ability to to be out and about. Um, well, there are most jobs at the moment, but um, you know, I, I think building your network um, carefully and not spray and pray. It's mm. it be considered considered. It needs to be your own marketing plan. Is a very core cool part and. Uh, Whilst I'd love to think that we get to handle a lot of the jobs that are around, um, the reality is, and particularly during the pandemic, everybody knows somebody that's recruiting. So every conversation you have is worthwhile. Mm, yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective, Christina, because it's almost like, you know, I, I, we've we've both seen it a lot where, you know, like you say, someone's in a, in a role, their head's down, running the business or doing whatever role they're in. And then all of a sudden the world changes and, and then, then you know, they'll, they'll, you might not have heard from someone for years, they've not bothered with you, and all of a sudden you get a knock on the door because they want something, right? It's the worst approach to networking, isn't it? It should yeah. just be a very natural, organic thing that you do because you are genuinely interested in making meaningful connections with people, not what's in it for me. And, and I think that's the thing that people often get wrong. Um, yeah. And, and you know, if you I was I the advice I always give to, you know, whether it's my mentee clients or, or just people that, you know, I'll, I'll have chats with around their career or whatever. You know, I'll always say, you know, make a conscious it's a conscious choice to network. It's not it's not something that's on the side. You know, you do need to put the time and the effort in, but you do it authentically. But always think about how you can help the other person first. You know, yes. I, I'm a massive believer in the law of reciprocity. And, um, and I do believe if you put good things out there to genuinely help people or introduce people or share a bit of information, whatever it may be, it will come back to you tenfold. Now, it's not giving to receive. It's doing it in a very authentic way. But you're right. It's so critical. And, and I think right now, a lot of people, you know, let's face it, it's tough. You know, people are at home, they're, they're locked in, they're kind of doing all this sort of, you know, stuff on Zoom. And, and the, sometimes the last thing you want to do is think about networking. But, you know, pick up the phone, have a conversation. It doesn't all have to be on Zoom, does it? You know, there's lots of different ways. Think of a reason to re-engage with someone because you just never know where that might lead to, do you? It's like a... a absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? I think... Um, you know, exactly that point. It doesn't have to be on Zoom. And I think, you know, everybody is a bit fatigued by that. But um, but nevertheless, it's it's thank goodness for it because. Oh, I, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, so there are different ways. But uh, to your point about, you know, only hearing from people when when they need something. I learned that right back at the beginning of my career, because that was the one thing with parliamentary PR was the consistency of, um, uh, you know, businesses who knew that they would have cases to lobby. Um, mm. and, um, but what they did was that they worked quite hard in an ethical way, um, yeah. uh, you know, to maintain contact with their constituency MPs, whether they had factories or or people that were members of all par- parliamentary, um, all party parliamentary groups, 
um, to make sure that, 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 that they were keeping them absolutely informed all the way through so that when, mm. they, did, when they did need them to fight their corner, they were available um, because that was the biggest complaint. And, you know, don't, don't get me on Parliament at the moment, but, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, back in those, those old-fashioned days, that was the, the biggest thing, single feedback we were getting from MPs was, um, you know, just keep us informed, keep us informed. Mm. Don't just come at us when you need us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, it is, and you learned that lesson very early in your career. And it's obviously something that has stayed with you, and you've just continued to layer on and build. I mean, you know, you wouldn't have the business you have today if you didn't have the network and the contacts and the relationships you've got. You know, I mean, I wouldn't with mine either. You know, I think we can both say that. And those relationships, I always think that you know, they're they're like friendships. They should be there through through thick and thin. Not just. It's easy. It's easy to 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 be there when the times are good. When the times are tough, that's when it when it really kind of separates the wheat from the chaff sometimes, I think. And uh, there's a bit of that going on at the moment, isn't there, Christina, you know? So. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. I think never has there been more more um, chaff to be <laughs> to be <sitting. laughs> um, It's just a, a, such a dreadfully hard time, but... You know what an amazing industry it is, and what amazing people there are in it. Um, and it's not an industry that's meant to be not working. I'm, you know, I'm not meant. I'm, I'm meant. I'm built to be advising people on their careers and and um, getting them their perfect jobs. I'm not meant, and I'm not meant to be sat behind a desk all the time. Um, it's a people industry, um, and we're, you know we feed off each other um and uh it so it will be back it will be back in shed loads yeah absolutely absolutely and it's an industry that we all we all love and you know and it's part of our our human rights to freedom of movement you know cross borders and travel and authentic experiences it's not just a a flippant sector and at the end of the day the travel and tourism accounts for 10 percent of um, gross domestic products it's massive for the economy and uh, i mean we won't go down the political route because we could be here for hours christina so I know. <laughs> I was just we'll, we'll park that but um what would be interesting actually is to talk a little bit about the world of recruitment and how that shifted and changed obviously you know you've been in the game you know for, for quite a few years christina so you've seen seen a lot you've experienced a lot and you have created a lot as well well during that time I would say and innovated yourself so so how's how's how has the world shifted in if you talk about recruitment exec search overall okay well I mean obviously um obviously technology um technology and social media um but technology um has been probably the greatest sea change I've I've seen in so many ways but you know if I put it in its simplest terms you know when I first started um uh at Argyle, we used to photocopy um, or and fax CVs, um, or we used to courier them. Um, and um, and you know, although we did, you know, we did actually. Um, I think I, I think I used the uh, the check from the Thomas Cook placement to install software, database software. <laughs> um, I seem to remember. So there, there were those very sort of simple tech technological um uh advances um the, the the fact that you really i mean you did have to be at the opening of an envelope i mean i you know 
uh, it was about really being embedded with the industry. And I don't think there's quite that requirement now. Um, I think it was when we hit the last recession that um, I decided that it was, um, there was absolutely no point in having an office. Nobody wanted to meet in them. Um, we were spending a fortune on, you know, about, I don't know, I think it was about 1,800 square feet. It, it doesn't sit comfortably with me that a business that says that, it, that its human capital is, um, you know, is its most important asset. Um, and then the, they put all of their recruitment processes through, um, through a machine, <laughs> through technology. And if you don't t- tick the boxes, and we're dealing with candidates who say, well, we've presented you, we've submitted your CV, and we have to check in in two days to see whether you've been rejected or not, um, or taken taken forward. And you'd go back into a machine um, that tells you um, uh, not being taken forward, CV already submitted. You go back to the candidate. Uh, apparently, your CV or could another of recruiter have submitted it? Well, maybe, but they haven't told me. You know, I just think it's open to, and also because I'm because my career's taken such an unconventional um, path. Um, I really like to look at people and say, I know you haven't got all the right technical skills, but my goodness, you've got the right will or you've got the right attitude. And if I can talk to my clients about that and persuade them to see you. Um, that's what we're paid for. So putting this through a a recruitment tool is is not very authentic, I don't think. Mm -hmm. And and I have to say we've walked away from some business um, on that basis because it's been frustrating. It's frustrating for us. It's been frustrating for our candidates. Listen, there are some systems that are better than others, but like all of those things, they have to you can't dehumanize them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's right, isn't it? Because like, we've talked all about people, relationships, networking, you know, all of that stuff. People are absolutely at the core, aren't they? So, yeah, I can see totally where, you, where you're coming from. Um, and, and Christina, for your um, business, uh, in terms of how you've had to sort of change during this time, what are some of the things that you specifically had to do? I mean, I know you talked about the sort of the office environment and working remotely, but you know, what are the things that you've had to sort of put into play as a business leader? Um, well, I think when whenever we've hit um, uh, whenever we've hit obstacles, which you know started from the really from the um, oh, well, probably actually when ILG went under. But if I take it from when I've been running my own business, um, you know, to nine eleven. I mean, the moment for so many of us when we saw those planes. Um, I just looked at my business partner at the time and I said, you know, this is this is a disaster for recruitment. So actually we, we applied um, some, you know, um, some entrepreneurial approach, some um, corporate approach to it. And we pretty much went into the team and said, right, this is this is what's going to happen. I, I don't think it's going to be very long, but I think it could be months. So now's the time if any of you want to, 
learn a different skill, um, go go down to flexible working, take a sabbatical. And it, it was fantastic because it got us through um, those three or four months. The recession was more difficult because it was longer and deeper. Um, and I had very good reserves in the business, um, but the recession put me straight to the edge. So that was when um, uh, getting rid of the offices was, was important. Um, but then again, again, complete consultation with some of my colleagues who were anyway thinking about, um, you know, moving on uh, to different careers. So, so we helped find them roles, you know, we helped find them roles with events companies and, um, uh, and, one wanted to go on and do a uh, you know direct marketing course, so we 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 it was all in consultation. But they were all so supportive because they recognised that this wasn't mismanagement of a business. This yeah. was this was a pivotal time in its history, and the same applies here. So uh, you know we've we've um, we've stopped the expansion of our Far East and Australasian business. That sort of um, we pressed the pause button on that. Um, one of my um, colleagues has wanted to take a, a sabbatical. So um, that's fine. Medico legal business, um, which has been really fascinating. Um, some coaching and mentoring. Uh, which I will probably grow more when we get deep, you know, towards the, the other side of this. But, um, you know, the vision from now is to build us back to pre-pandemic levels um, because there's some very good people out there who I think will, will and I think this applies not only to, to people who've sadly found themselves on the job market, but equally to those people who have put their careers on hold over this time because they need to be in their businesses, um, leading businesses, and, th and th now they, they're going to be ready to burst out. So, Christina, I've got um, a few final questions, if I may. Um, so what's the best piece yep. of advice that you can think you've been given through your illustrious career? Uh, illustrious. Um, uh, gosh, um, I think that there's probably a few, but I do always remember again back at my um, parliamentary PR days. Um, I was it, it was the water cooler conversation with the then chief exec, um, and I had a my boss had had a complaint um, about the service that I was delivering, um, and honestly, you would have thought my world had ended. I mean, I was standing by the coffee machine. Uh, I, I, I mean, I wasn't in tears, but I was, I was absolutely fraught um because i you know the thing you know pride ego all of those things and i couldn't believe that i'd failed a client um and so he just said to me um he said well firstly he said go back reread the letter because it was a letter then um Break it down into bit parts and push push back on the bits you don't agree with and put your hand up to the the bits that you might agree to, 
And he said, and above everything else, he said, in three weeks' time, I will meet you at this coffee machine and you'll be so over this. Um, but, but take it back in your control. And uh, um, that stuck with me, actually. And it's a piece of advice that I've given to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, right. That's really, really useful, actually, because like you say, often when you get feedback or rejection or whatever, it's it, it's it's not necessarily the whole thing, is it? It might be an element of. Um, and like you say, you know, when you sleep on it, reflect, actually, the world doesn't seem so bad um, <laughs> with when yeah. time goes by. So you get it into perspective. That's great advice. And can you think of any um, of the worst piece of advice or bad piece of advice, Christina, that either you've taken and regretted it or you've not taken because it was such bad advice? Um, well, uh, I guess the, the, um, uh, the one thing that did come into my mind was uh, uh, old-fashioned schools career advisors. I should become a nanny. <laughs> well, anybody that knows me knows that... Um, much as I love other people's children, um, a, a nanny would, nobody would trust me. I'd be more Mrs. Doubtfire than anything else. <laughs> so, um, and and also, but that was, wasn't that typical of, uh, you know, I'm talking about the 70s, um, that, you know, had I said I wanted to be an accountant or an airline pilot or a, um, run my own business, uh, that was just not the thinking of the careers advisors of those times. Thank goodness um, that's seen a sea change. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I think and the, the world would be a, a less richer place, Christina, I think, if you hadn't had all had taken the business forward and done everything you have to help people with their careers and get talent into businesses. So, no, thank God you didn't take that advice. Um, <laughs> <Very> <laughs> and the, the final question, Christina, what does brave, bold, brilliant mean for you? Um I think it means um, it, it, well. I think it means different things for different people. For for me, uh, I've had different elements of it. Um, I have strokes of brilliance. They might not be related to my job. They might be a brilliant fish curry. So I take it. I take it at its you know simplest level. But I think overriding, particularly in the last year, I, I, I'm really mindful of the fact that um, a lot of people are struggling with their mental health. And I think the really important thing to remember about Brave, Bold and Brilliant is we've all got it in us. We've all got it in us. But do not feel that you have to be brave, bold, brilliant all at the same time or 24-7. Um, we've, uh, we'll, we'll have phases of it but it's all there in all of us and you just need to surround yourself with the right people and the right advice and uh, um, take yourself to work. Yeah, oh, fantastic. That's great. I love that. Really great balanced view of it. So thanks, Christina. And where can people find you? Well, um, they can often find me in Kensington Gardens with the two dogs, but actually <laughs> other um, uh, heartwallen.com. Uh, is our website, LinkedIn, um, and uh, social media, Twitter, Insta, and Facebook. Facebook, I tend to use more for for friendships, but I'm always prone to a political view or a, or a professional contact. 
<laughs> Excellent. So you're everywhere. There's no excuse for people not being able to uh, to hook up with you then, Christina. But listen, thank you hugely, hugely for taking the time. I've really loved the conversation, hearing about all your journey and, and so inspiring for everyone listening. So thank you very no, much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jeanette. I thoroughly enjoyed it.